Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Okay, we need a comedy routine based on the name of the new Hartford baseball team. So let's brainstorm some funny names we can run with. Okay, uh, Hartford Yard uh, Goats. What is a yard goat? <laughs> I know, right? Wait, got a problem. That's one of the names under serious consideration. Wait, are you being serious right now? It's on the list. Okay, um, Hartford Blue Frogs. Right, that sounds funny. Yeah, it's random, right? Ugh, it's also on the list. Okay, uh, how about the Hartford Choppers? What would that even mean? Wood, teeth, helicopters, motorcycles, uh, Benihana? Uh, just any kind of, you know, random chopping. Ugh, this is also on the serious list. Are you serious? You know what they should really do? Call the team the Hartford Hookers. I mean, come on, the Hartford Hookers. There's only one problem with that. What? You don't see it? The problem with Hartford hookers? No, I don't. Not at all. Thomas Hooker was a proponent of the doctrine of preparationism, which taught that a person seeking conversion might dispose himself toward receiving God's grace. Uh, too big a departure from the Synod of Dort and its doctrine of unconditional election. That's what I'm thinking. You're probably right. Here's a show about how to name a baseball team, how to get in a really bad fight about a painting in a library, and how to make people happy when they get a ticket from a cop. And now the starting shortstop for the Hartford fiduciary pre-exemptions, Colin McEnroe. Yeah, that was from a time when our minor league baseball team name was based mainly on ERISA law, kind of, uh, you know, a somewhat recherche a uh, bit of insurance. You know, you get the idea. Uh, anyway, we are going to be talking about baseball team names. And they're absolutely right, by the way. You cannot name a team after a Puritan divine, even if he is the founder of the city, uh, who so, so substantially departs from the classic Cal Calvinist doc doctrines of total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, atonement, irresistible grace, and preservation of the saints. So I would say Hartford Hookers. For that, who would take their kids to a game, you know? named after somebody who is not really a strict Calvinist. Um, all right, so uh, as you probably know, you may know, you may even be getting ready to call in. Before I even introduce our guest, let me suggest that you call in um, at 860-275-7266. Hartford is about to have a new baseball franchise. Uh, the franchise has not been named. And uh, there's a list of names. Uh, first of all, the, the list of semifinalist names will be announced at 3 o'clock today. However, we already have that list, or at least what was that list as of yesterday. Uh, and what we want to do really is have not so much a disputatious conversation about how stupid all those names are, although chances are that will happen, um, but kind of a conversation about how teams get named and what's the difference between a stupid name and a good name and what some of the trends are in naming teams. And so, you know, no matter what kind of conversation we want to have about this, we really felt, oh, by, by the way, the phone number again, 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266. Whatever conversation we were going to have, we wanted to have it with Chris Kramer. He's the founder of SportsLogo.net, and he, in fact, is the guy who got the, somehow or other got the list of semifinalist names and made it public yesterday. Now, welcome to our show. 
Oh, thank you very much. Before we begin, do you sort of feel like Glenn Greenwald and Laura Poitras, you know, getting the information from Edward Snowden, do you feel as though like maybe your own safety is in jeopardy now? You're going to be strip searched <laughs> in airports and stuff like that? Um, well, I don't know. These uh, minor league baseball executives can be pretty shifty. Absolutely. So um, I- I'm just I'll read through the list uh, that you um, provided uh, yesterday. As you have pointed out, it's possible that uh, in an environment of derision and ridicule, which has been happening on social media, they may tweak this list a little bit by three o'clock today. But Hartford Blue Frogs, Hartford Choppers, Hartford Hedgehogs, Hartford Honey Badgers, Hartford Hound Dogs, Hartford Praying Mantis, or perhaps Mantises, Hartford River Dogs, River Hogs, excuse me, Hartford River Hogs, Hartford Screech Owls, Hartford Whirly Birds, Hartford Yard Goats. All right. Well, we can get into the specifics of that. But first of all, I wanted to ask you: Does it? It seemed to me that in doing some research for today's show that there's a very fine line between the name of genius and the name that's really bad. You know, that minor league baseball is a place where you take some more risks. You know, we go back as far as watching Klinger on MASH run around in his Toledo mud hen's uniform, and we know that this is a place where, you know, maybe you are going to have a slightly more colorful, inventive kind of name than you might have at the major league level. But it's sort of you know, the difference between what's really cool and what's really stupid is hard to detect or at least hard to agree upon. Is Does that strike you as, as true? Oh, sure, yeah. Um, well, especially as you're saying in the minor leagues, uh, you certainly do have that extra room for creativity. Uh, it seems to be the focus in the minor leagues is to appeal to uh, more of a family-friendly, more, more, more of a kid environment. Um, so the direction there is, is more towards the silly, mm-hmm. uh, more towards the cartoony. Uh, whereas in the major leagues, it's more of a serious, uh, it, you know, aiming for a, a traditional name. Uh, but as you say, it is a fine line to walk uh, between uh, silly and, and serious and, and, and quality. Um, and uh, this list is all full of silly. Yeah. I mean, the Lansing Lugnuts is either a great name or a really bad name. I would say it's a great name. It fulfills my criteria for a great name. But right. do, do you have criteria? Does there Are there certain qualities that separate a good name from a bad name? Oh, just speaking personally, a great name is one that's both uh, marketable, one that uh, appeals to everyone, and also has some sort of tie to the community that it's representing. Right. And I think that's a problem with some of these names. For example, there is now in the last 24 hours since you opened this Pandora's box, which, by the way, is not one of the names, um, since you opened this Pandora's box, there is um, uh, a certain ripple of sentiment on behalf of the Hartford Yard Goats. But my problem is the Hartford Yard Goats doesn't meet one of the criteria you just articulated. There's no particular goat geographical connection to Hartford. So, you know, I mean, it seems to me, you know, that, that, that if you think of the names that are really good. Now, sometimes the names are, have a geographical connection that only the people there would understand. For example, the Fort Wayne Tin Caps, a Padres affiliate at the single-A Midwest League. They are, the, the Tim Caps name I'm reading here was planted, uh, planted in Johnny Appleseed's memory. Right. Appleseed wore a cooking pot on his head during his travels, and he's buried in Fort Wayne. Uh, and the city holds an annual Johnny Appleseed Festival. But it really isn't intuitive, right? You look at that name, and you think, oh, that's why they're the Tin Caps. And it makes such a great story, and it makes you more interested in learning about their brand and the history behind it. Do you have any particular favorite names, either within the world? Well, before we even get to that, I mean, there are various trends, right, within names. I mean, one thing that happened... 
you know, I, I don't really know exactly when this trend began, but you started to have some names of things that are not not only animals, but they're not even plural. They're kind of a collective concept. So you've got the Miami Heat. You've got the uh, Utah Jazz. Uh, in minor league baseball, I think you have the Fort Myers Miracle. Um, so that's sort of one thing, sort of the abstract, non-corporeal thing. And then the, uh, there's another trend that's sort of things that are not things. Like even, I mean, the Har- whatever the Hartford are, the Hartford things are going to be, they used to be the New Britain Rock Cats. And there really is no such thing as a rock cat. But there's, a, there's some of that going around, right? Yeah, um, it, you know, creativity is always evolving. Uh, it seems lately uh, <clears throat> in the minor leagues, it's it's to get attention. It's to get sort of, uh, you know, do whatever you can to get uh, mentioned on ESPN, on, on Keith Olbermann or anything. Uh, if that <laughs> requires, uh, you know, picking a silly nickname or, or coming out with a, a weird logo or a weird promotional jersey, uh, that's what they're going to do, and it's working. Um, so... Um... Uh, do you have any particular? Uh, we have a bunch of calls ab- about to come in here. A flood tide of calls. The Harvard flood tide also not on the list anywhere. Um, but do you have any particular favorites, uh, particularly from the world of minor league baseball? But but anywhere else as well. I love the Montgomery Biscuits. Yeah, Montgomery Biscuits is great. And they might have been the first one of this recent trend, uh, to, you know, to push a, a silly name and try to make it somewhat uh, serious and respectable. Uh, and, I mean, it helps. They, they lead in the merchandise charts, and that really helps with sales and uh, revenue for the team. Um, They're also, from, their, their team slogan is, history in the baking. Yeah. Um, and their team colors are butter and blue. Right. And uh, the logo is a, a biscuit uh, with, with eyes and a big uh, square of butter as a tongue. See, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> how, how could you hate something like that? Exactly. How could you hate a biscuit? Yeah. Uh, Dave, were you going to mention another, another one you like? Um. Well, just uh, submitting my own name to this list, yeah. I, I went with the uh, the Huckleberries. The Hartford Huckleberries, yeah. Yeah, after Mark Twain. Right. I thought that made a great connection to the city of Hartford, and it seemed like something you could have a lot of fun with, with a brand, with a mascot. It also, it, it spills off the tongue appealingly, the Hartford Huckleberries, Hartford Huckleberries. Yeah, yeah. some alliteration in there. Yeah. And and also it's rhythmic too. Hartford Huckleberries. Right. Uh, I like it as well. We're talking to Chris Creamer right now, uh, and uh, he is. You, you wouldn't be willing to tell us how you got this list, right? I mean, you got this highly secret list of Hartford semifinalist names. All you need to know is that it's accurate. All right, Chelsea Manning. Was it Chelsea Manning? Uh, <laughs> you can tell us. All right, so um, we're going to go to the phones here, and um, let's start with uh, Thea from Vernon. Hi, you're on the air. Hi, Colin. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, it's great to talk to you. I had a favorite, and I think it harked back to Mark Twain, and it also brings a smile to people's faces. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of upset that it didn't make the list. I'm wondering if somehow I screwed up on my computer and I didn't hit the right button. It was the Hartford Humdingers. The Hartford Humdingers. And if you put Humdinger in on the Internet, yeah. the example of the use, that was a humdinger of a storm. Right. I, we are, well, I mean, I, it's not that I don't like your name, but I feel as though Chris Creamer has kind of improved on it a little bit with Hartford Huckleberries. Like, why wouldn't we want to be a Huckleberry instead of a Humdinger, Thea? I like Huckleberries, too. Yeah. But Humdinger was what came to me. All right. The alliteration, the, you know, and the Mark Twain. 1904 was the first reported usage in print, which was Mark Twain's. See, but that's like the uh, Johnny Appleseed, Tim. It takes too much explaining to explain the connection. Uh, although, Chris Creamer, you sort of like things that have to be explained a little bit. Yeah, but I'm weird. Yeah. 
Because <laughs> I know there's one team called, I, I could find it here even, there's a one a minor league baseball team called the Keys, and it turns out that they're not named after Keys. There's no particular key-making factory uh, there. It's that Francis Scott Key is buried very near the stadium, uh, although I can't find it now. Uh, do you know off the top of your head what, which one that is? It's a minor league baseball team. I don't know. Yeah. They're called the Keys. Francis Scott Key is sort of from the area, um, so they kind of, you know, already kind of own the national anthem, which feels seems like a, a quite an advantage for uh, any sports team. It's the Frederick Keys, uh, Orioles affiliate, single A Carolina League. The Keys take their name from the famous poet uh, and former Frederick County resident Francis Scott Key, who wrote the Star Spangled Banner. He's buried right near the Keys ballpark. Fans sometimes jingle their car keys in unison at Keys games. See, the one thing that has been suggested by Greg Hill here at our show is the good thing about the yard goats is, first of all, you'd have a fun noise you could make uh, if you're sitting in the stands. And, you know, if we were, like, uh, approaching the playoffs, people could grow their goatees. Um, Brilliant. Think of the marketing side of that. Right. So that, that's the argument for the yard goats. The argument against them is no geographic uh, connection. All right, here's Gail in East Granby. Hi, Gail. Hi. How you doing? Good. So my dad and I actually submitted a name, and I don't know. I didn't see the list, so I don't know if it's on it. It's, it's not. We, it's not. Okay. <laughs> the Hartford Darts. Hartford um, Darts. But I was thinking of, you know, a way to connect. I like the idea of connecting Hartford's history right. with this. But when I started going over some of the thoughts of what those might be, I think it points to why Hartford has such a an image problem. We're known for, you know, the wiffle ball. We can't, you know, the Hartford wiffles. No. I well, that's actually, that's, so. that's New Haven anyway, I think. Right. You know, and Hartford bikes, Hartford bicycles. No, that doesn't work, you know. Hartford uh, Colts. Hart- Hartford Colts, mm, Hartford Popes. I don't think so. You know, the gun insurance related. I don't know. Well, yeah, somebody actually, uh, Chris uh, Creamer, you just said insurance related. Somebody uh, has just, Rob has just tweeted, what about the Hartford actuaries? Um, <laughs> or the deductibles. Oh, the Hartford did, you're good at this, aren't you? The Hartford well, deductibles. I've been doing it all my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, this, you know, we have a lot more calls and we'll get to them. But the reason we have a lot of calls, I think, is because I, I assume, Chris Creamer, it's become commonplace to involve the potential fans somehow in this naming process to get that right. buy-in. Yeah, um, maybe the last, I mean, back going back to the 70s or so, you have had teams having a name-the-team contest involving the fans, you know, picking a list of, of finalists like we're doing right now with Hartford. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just sort of a way to give the community some sort of ownership over the name uh, to make them feel like, uh, you know, they, they've, had, they've played a part um, in, in this brand that they're all being asked to buy into and fall in love with for the rest of their lives. Um, Larry is tweeting to us, years ago there was a minor league hockey team from Georgia, the Macon Whoopies. Yeah. And that, that is great. <laughs> That's inspired. Again, something you can only do in the minor leagues. True. And I think also the only question that I would have about the Macon Whoopies, uh, although I'm in love with it, I'm completely in love with it, is something that's a pun. You might get, or, or, or something along those lines, you might get tired of that, right? I mean, the joy could possibly, after two or three years, the right. fact that this was very amusing at, uh, the first time you heard it. Uh, I just it has to there has to be durability here. You have to be willing to live with this name forever. Right. You know, I'm wondering. All right. So um, we've oh, got sorry. To, to to go on with that. Uh, yeah. You know, usually the first time you hear the new name of a team that that you know represents your hometown, you're almost always going to hate it. Um, you know, if looking back in the archives uh, at uh, different teams being named, the reaction from the public is always 
I hate it. Why didn't they pick this? You know, no one's ever going to call them that. Um, one example, uh, you know, for the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, everyone wanted them to name the team the Blues. Mm. They they hated the name Blue Jays. Um, in fact, one local politician was quoted as saying, you know, no one's ever going to call them the Jays. Everyone's going to call them the Blues. You know, they'll just ignore it after a few years. But then you fast forward about 25 years, that politician is now the president of the Toronto Blue Jays. <laughs> and, and the first thing he does is try to change the name. Yeah. But not to the Blues, but to the Jays. Uh-huh. The thing Completely. he said that they would never do. Well, so they, they almost did it. Yeah. Well, as somebody, okay, so you're not that person here in Hartford, right? You're not the person who lives in Hartford and hates the name the first time you hear it. You're somebody who studies this, who who um, who, who wants to, who knows as much as possible about this subject. Right. So as right. you run right. your eye down the list, Hartford Blue Frogs, Hartford Choppers, Hedgehogs, Honey Badgers, Hound Dogs, Praying Mantis, River Hogs, Screech Owls, Whirly Birds, Yard Goats, um, do these all strike you as kind of stupid names, given the fact that you have no particular reason to reject them? You're not from Hartford? I, I, you know, there are some stupid names in there. Um, anytime you can take, like, for example, you could take any of the the nouns in mm. those names and, you know, swap them around with, with uh, you know, any of the descriptions of those nouns. Right. And they would still apply. You know, you could have the Hartford Blue Goats, the Yard Frogs, the the screech pogs, you know what I mean? Yes. The hound owls, whatever. You can just sort of mix them all up, <laughs> and you're going to get, you know, similar names. Right. They're going to make just as much sense. Um, so for me, that's really a lack of creativity, uh, the fact that you can apply anything to anything and call it a name. Right. So uh, we could have the Hartford Praying Goats. Uh, yeah, why kinda, not? I like that. Yeah. Um, the, I, I will say one thing, and this would not be obvious to a person from out of town. But the Hartford River Hogs does sort of jump out as something a little bit better in the sense that uh, Hartford's main river was the Hog River for a long time. Okay. And then it got changed to the Park River. Then it got put underground. It's not a glorious, happy story, really. It's now an underground river full of screaming rats. But, um, but you know, it, at least there is some kind of local connection. Actually, the screaming rats is not a bad and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, You're getting good at this, yeah, too. Right. And then, um, and, and then there actually is such I thought there was no such thing as a river hog. I thought it was like another one of these, you know, rock cat kinds of things. But it turns out there is an African animal called the red river hog. It's really ugly, but it's there. Um, all right. So let's, uh, we've got some call, more calls uh, coming in here. Wow, there's so many calls. I don't know how to pick. Okay, we'll go to Jason in uh, Simsbury. Hi, Jason. Hey, Colin. Thanks for taking my call. No problem. Yeah, so I'm really disappointed with the proposed list of top ten that have come out, like many of your callers and folks online. I, I had pitched the Hartford Hitmen. Mm-hmm. That was the one that I thought would be more evocative, and you know, obviously it has a bit of a, a, a violent side to it, but I also think for a baseball team to suggest that they're all a lineup of really strong hitters is actually pretty pretty clever, if I do say so myself. I, I want to do a write-in campaign or something to, to fix this discrepancy from the top 10 that has been proposed. All right. Um, well, I'll throw it to the expert here. Chris Creamer, how do you feel about Hartford Hitmen? Uh, you know, a little violent, uh, yeah. considering uh, minor leagues, uh, you know, tend to focus on family-friendly images. Um, I like Hitmen. There's a, there's a minor league team up in Canada called the Calgary Hitmen, uh, and the alliteration uh, plus, uh, you know, it works with baseball. Yeah. Um, but I just don't think it'll work in today's minor league. 
Yeah, I think there's I got two problems with it. One of them is this this stadium is going to be perched on the on the edge of an urban area that's had some, you know, pretty significant urban troubles and problems with violence and stuff like that. So, you know, and you sort of think about the way certain kinds of groups including gangs sometimes get into sports jerseys. You really don't want guys walking around with Hartford Hitmen jerseys on and in terms of just merchandising, you know, if you're going to take your eight-year-old daughter to the baseball game, is she really going to want Hartford Hitmen? I mean, it seems to me if you could go gender neutral, you're probably, you know, opening up a whole marketing avenue that you don't want to close off. Well, we've had an issue uh, in the past with the uh, Washington Bullets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Washington Bullets. Yeah. Not a, not, yeah, uh, definitely a problem. Uh, that's why they're the Wizards now. All right, so let's uh, go to uh, Harry in Watertown. Hi, Harry. Carrie. Oh, Carrie. Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, to give credit or blame where it's due, uh, Tom Condon was telling me about a basketball team in Hartford, which was known as the Fighting Hartford Fighting Actuaries, which uh, kind of ties into the insurance history. of this That would city. be something that Tom Condon made up or, or that I made up or something. It sounds like something that one of either he or I made up. But it, the the misconception there is that if you put fighting in front of something, uh, it could po- possibly work. Uh, I don't think that, that that's the case. All right, we've got a bunch more calls here. And this, so far, though, Chris Kramer, I have to say, and I'm not sucking up to you because you're the guest, but Hartford Huckleberry uh, strikes me as, as a better name than anything I've heard. And, and I, Hartford Deductibles is not bad either. So. <laughs> Well, they're free to have either of them if they want them. Or you, 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 you're not going to like produce this audio later and start screaming about royalties. It, it depends on how much money they make, I guess. All right, because our next segment is about uh, an incident in which uh, the image of Mother Teresa may or may not have been copyrighted. So we're a little sensitive about that right now uh, here in Connecticut. All right, let me take one one more call, Betsy. How do you feel about that? One more call? Yeah, well, she says one, possibly even two. She says. All right, here's uh, John in Middletown. Hi, John. Hi. Uh, what's on your mind? Uh, how about the Hartford Harpooners? Because of our whaling industry up here in Hartford. Well, so you you sort of you're sort of building on the Hartford whalers uh, mystique, right? Right, but not, you know. But not. Um, well, you know, I mean, um, let me just go back to Chris Creamer on that. So you know, you talked about how people don't like the name of a team when it's first proposed for their uh, for their own vicinity, for their own uh, hometown. And I have to say, when the Hartford Whalers were first introduced, I thought, you know, is that kind of a discredited? It's like calling somebody the Pennsylvania Strip Miners or something. I mean, whaling, you know, itself is not really, you know, something that we're all that enthusiastic about right now. But on the other hand, the Hartford Whalers uh, is, uh, I, you know much more about this than I do, but I know of no defunct sports franchise whose uh, paraphernalia, whose jerseys, whose logo has had the kind of durability. I mean, people really still like uh, that whole thing. Right. So, uh, you know, Harpooners, I, I don't remember the exact name, but that's, that'd be great to buy into that, uh, the Whalers market, uh, not just in Hartford, but, you know, across the country. Uh, the whalers, you know, very popular uh, even up here. Uh, I'm up in Canada, and I see whaler stuff all over the place. Um, uh, maybe uh, the Montreal Expos is another example of a team that's as popular in terms of merchandise. But uh, you know, thinking back 20 years, you know, whalers was a name that we all made fun of. Uh, the name, the logo, the uniforms, everything. And now we we can't wait to have it back. We, we want to see it everywhere. We want to see teams wearing it. We want we want to buy it, wear it. Um, that's just another example of, you know, over time, you get used to something, you fall in love with it, you form a, an emotional connection to it, and uh, it's just part of the family. 
I, I will say that I presided on stage over an incident about a few years ago in which uh, the comedian John Hodgman uh, professed his love of the Hartford Whalers logo and then was presented with a Whalers jersey and disrobed, at least uh, from the waist up on stage, and put it on, which is maybe not even something that was called for. But, um, but one thing that I will just say while the world is listening uh, is that once they pick the, this team and they start talking about the logo, they are fools Fools, fools, if they do not at least go and consult with Peter Good, Peter Good, who lives right here in Connecticut, who invented the Whalers logo, which is, I mean, a lot of, one thing, reason that Hodgman said he loves it is its use of what's called negative space. Right. Uh, that, you know, the way, there's a way in which the negative space of the W creates the H. And um, so, I mean, to have this guy available. Uh, and to farm this work out somewhere. I mean, you, maybe they'll wind up farming it out, but it's... But, you know, in a way, Chris Creamer, logo, logos are... That's like we'll be having you back in, in five months, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, logos are a whole other set of conversations. Um, although I feel as though, and as we're wrapping this up here, I feel as though one of the things that happens um, that may lead teams in the direction of folly is that that the people who pick the name start picturing the logo ahead of everything else. Like, I don't know why there are the New Britain Rock Cats or were the New Britain Rock Cats, but I I feel as though they had, like, this idea of this really nifty logo, and they thought about that first before they thought about whether there was any such thing as a Rock Cat or whether there was any viable connection between Rock Cats and where they were. Do you want to comment on that? You know, it happens sometimes, uh, and it usually, uh, you know, results in in failure. Right. Um, and, and broken hearts uh, and the yeah. devastation of civilization. There's, there's one example, and that's the Oklahoma City Thunder, and they have an identity that's as bland as can be uh, in that their logo has absolutely nothing to do with their team name. Um, they, they came out with the logo, and then they came out with a name a few months later, and right. you can tell they could have applied any name to that logo. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, I can't even picture the Oklahoma City logo. All I can well, picture exactly. is the face of Russell Westbrook. All right, so, well, uh, Chris Creamer, n- now officially an investigative reporter uh, into uh, team franchise names uh, and uh, before that, founder of sportslogo.net. Thanks so much for joining us. We're going to take a break. We're going to shift focus a little bit. We're going to, what are you telling me? CT. CT. Oh, yes, you're going to hear going out. Uh, <laughs> I I have to be prompted in the headphones because I've forgotten something that was told to me like 40 minutes ago. Um, I have very bad short-term memory at this point. All right, so uh, our friends at CT Improv, what they did was they tried to figure out what it would be like. Because like the fans in the stands, right? So, you know, you want to make have a cheer, basically. You want to make a noise, you want to have a sound. So they went through this list of the blue frogs, the choppers, the hedgehogs, the honey badgers, the hound dogs, the praying mantis, river hogs, screech owls, whirlybirds, yard goats, and they tried lickety-split right on the spot to uh, improvise uh, some kind of cheer. Let's hear what they um, came up with as we go out. Please welcome the Hartford Blue Frogs! Hartford 
right, let me tell you about uh, what's going to happen on the rest of the show. But first of all, I want to uh, sort of slightly correct one statement I made in the previous segment. I may have been incorrect in saying that the Park River is now an underground river full of screaming rats. I think it's more correct to say that it's full of wild, hungry, screaming rats. Um, all right, so as the show goes on, at the, at the end of the show today, we're going to tell you, we're going to take you metaphorically to uh, a town called Farmington, New Hampshire, where they're doing something, the police department is doing something to make people really happy. We don't want to tell you quite yet what it is, uh, but uh, here in the dead of winter, uh, in the bleak midwinter, uh, there is, in fact, a happiness uh, being almost kind of manufactured out of thin air in Farmington, New Hampshire. Before that, we uh, unfortunately have to go to a slightly less happy situation, and that is in Trumbull, Connecticut, birthplace uh, of our own Betsy Kaplan, producer of the show. Uh, but that's not the reason. It's not That would be a reason for them to be very happy there. Uh, but they're not that happy right now, and it all has to do with a painting, uh, part of a series of paintings that was, was this one painting, part of this series of paintings, all on the walls of the Trumbull Library. Uh, but uh, one painting in particular, uh, these are all paintings by a painter named Robin Morris, excited uh, criticism from one camp and got taken down uh, by order of the first selectman of Trumbull. So here to explain this story much better than I am explaining it right now is Jane Resnick. Uh, she and her husband uh, own this collection of paintings. Uh, they were the ones who made it available uh, to the Trumbull Library and uh, they are the ones who have been rather uh, disconcerted to see what's happened since then. So Jane Resnick, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So you have this collection uh, of paintings by this painter, Robin Morris. And, and the theme of the, this painting, the, this collection of paintings, is great minds, right? Tell, tell us about the collection. Well, uh, we started with a very large painting of Shakespeare, which we bought from Robin Morris. And then we began to think about an idea to continue it as a collection. And so mostly Robin and my husband began looking into scientists, philosophers, religious leaders, uh, human rights leaders, people who we thought had really transformed the world by their work. Some of them are Albert Einstein, Isaac Newton, Mozart, Benjamin Franklin, and Jesus, now that we're getting to the religious part. Um, and so altogether we have 33. We've hung them at uh, Colgate University. It was for six months at uh, the Quick Center at Fairfield University, and no one objected there. But now it's in the Trumbull Public Library, and I really was so pleased it was there because I felt the primary reason for it is education, and a lot of young people would get to see it. But we have um, heard from our first selectmen that uh, there was an objection to the painting by Pastor Gannon of St. Teresa's uh, church in Trumbull, and he removed it because he felt Mother Teresa appears in this painting and that it was an insult to her. Uh, we feel this is a tramping on our First Amendment freedom of speech rights as well as the separation of church and state. So when we pushed back and said, with the help of the librarian, that we would not take the painting down, we feel he con concocted a reason, um, and that reason is that there's an organization that claims to own the rights to Mother Teresa's image, uh, and it would be copyright infringement. However, we've seen no evidence of this yet. I did a little research about this, and it does seem as though there's an organization in India 
that does hold, uh, applied for, and I believe got a copyright in India uh, relating to Mother Teresa's name and image. And I think part of the problem was that in India, there even were, I think, banks and things like that that weren't calling themselves Mother Teresa Savings and Loan or something. So uh, so that, that, that did happen, but uh, I, I see no particular application of that copyright uh, here in the United States. And it seems anyway as though this... This artistic use of Mother Teresa. We should say something about this painting in particular, all right? So you've got you've got this painting of various kinds of women's advocates, right? I mean, it's it's um, it's a tableau kind of 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 right. So right. yeah, fill in the Whereas tableau. The so other paintings that? are a single person. This is a tableau because it was so diffuse. The kind of when we looked into women's rights or women's issues, we could didn't want to pinned down one because there seemed to be so many. And in a way, we just wanted to uh, sort of hold up inspirational figures. And we chose people like Mother Teresa and Clara Bart and Abigail Adams, Florence Nightingale, Gloria Steinem. These are people who have worked from the beginning about women's issues and not even women's issues, helping the sick, you know, serving the poor as she did. There is no ideology in this painting. It's all about how these women have moved forward and and really tried to make the, uh, the world a more humane place. Um, the painting is not about Mother Teresa, and it is not about um, what, what the pastor was really worried about, is abortion. Margaret Sanger is in the painting, and she... Um, was the first to try to help women plan family planning, and she worked to prevent backstreet abortions. The painting is not abortion, and it's not about birth control. So we don't feel that the painting can be taken down for this reason. It's a small part of the painting. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. I think has the painting, the painting has, at least for the moment, been taken down? Yes. Yeah. In, in fact, um, uh, Sue Horton, who's a librarian, and did a fantastic job of hanging these paintings. It is not easy. They are some of them are four and five feet long, three feet high, and she worked so hard and was so really encouraged by the fact that she could bring something unusual to the library. Was very reluctant to take it down, but Mr. Herb sent someone over and took it down. Um. Can you, uh, just to play um, advocate for the other side for a second. Well, first of all, I want to say that we uh, did invite Tim Herbst, uh, the first segment of Trumble, Trumble, on today. He couldn't come. I mean, he literally couldn't come because of his, his schedule. He uh, is willing and interested to talk about this. But um, um, can you understand or, or imagine uh, another point of view here, and that other point of view being, well, if you're sort of this particular Catholic church in Trumbull, and there's Mother Teresa, and she's in a painting, and near her is a sign that says Planned Parenthood. Let's take Margaret Sanger out of the equation even for a moment. There's, just, there's a sign that says Planned Parenthood. And you think, well, yeah, maybe they're trying to be inclusive and pluralistic, but they've got our Mother Teresa next to the, the name of an organization that she just not only wouldn't be comfortable with, but would be, you know, extremely opposed to. Can you sort of, um, can you imagine that point of view? Yes, I can imagine that point of view. But our point would be is if we allow a public official to find a way around the First Amendment, even if there is some legitimacy to that point of view, it's still not, it's still against our freedom of expression. And there's no reason why they wouldn't move 
against another arena. And if we allow a, a politician to inject religion into uh, his actions, we're giving up one of our most important protections. Um, uh, we've got a call coming in here, and um, and so uh, let me just—I'm going to put you on hold for just a second. And uh, here's uh, Howard calling from New York. I think I know which Howard this is. Um, yes, you do, Colin. Okay. So Howard, uh, this is Howard Sherman, right? Yes, it is. All right. So, uh, so uh, what's your purpose in chiming in here, Howard? Well, my purpose is in chiming in is this isn't an incident in isolation. I think we have to remember that there was also an incident of artistic censorship in Trumbull, Connecticut, now uh, almost a year and a half ago when the high school attempted to shut down a production of the school edition of Rent because it had adult themes. Um, in this case, the the claim by the first selectman that this is a copyright issue and that he is in no way performing artistic censorship um, would seem to to really be an attempt to to split the issue and not get into content discussions. But I really want to go back to, to Mrs. Resnick. I may not have heard her um, while I was speaking to your producer, but it is my understanding that Mr. Herbst is saying since there is no indemnification language, no agreement in which the Resnicks indemnify the town from any claims arising from the use or the display of the art, he is protecting the town. I subsequently saw a print report which said that Mr. Resnick has offered to indemnify the town. I'd love to confirm if that's true, because if it's true, Indemnification language can be written in an hour, and therefore, if the town is not immediately making it possible for the Resnicks to indemnify and the town, and if indeed they're committed to doing so, then this proves there is something else at stake here. Well, I, I, first of all, I'm not quite sure that I, I, we do have uh, Jane Resnick here. So uh, you and Dr. Resnick have, were, were told by the town, as Howard is saying, that if you could provide some kind of indemnifi indemnification agreement which holds the town of Trumbull harmless against lawsuits that might arise from this use of Mother Teresa's image, which I are lawsuits which I regard as completely imaginary, uh, but, but that, that then maybe the town would go, that the town would go forward. Tell us the, the status of that right now. In fact, we did discuss this with the librarian because she said at the time, is the collection insured? What if something happens to the paintings while they're in the library? And we assured her at that time that we would not hold the town responsible for anything and that we would take full legal and financial responsibility for any damages. Um, I don't believe we said any lawsuit because it never occurred to us. But it was informal, and there, it was not written. So when... Um, he came up with this. My husband did try to speak to Mr. Herbst about it, but he was really not willing to stay on the phone with him. And we do think it would take about 10 minutes to draw up such a thing. The other point is that in making a statement, Mr. Herbst put the painting on the Internet mm -hmm. with his statement. Yeah, it's so on the town, it's on the town website. exposed us in a way that we would rather not have been in terms of, um, anyone who might be out there would like to object now that we he should we should hold us harmless right so they you're see they've kind of 
uh, painted a bullseye uh, on you guys by putting that thing up on the internet. So how are you going to on themselves, Colin? Yeah. Because now they're putting the painting forward, even as they're claiming that the town would be at risk for displaying it. The town is displaying it. Right. So uh, my recollection, Howard, was that you were, were very interested and involved in. Uh, the controversy and trouble over rent. How did that one wind up again? Uh, the fact is, after three weeks, the um, show was restored. The uh, show went on, and there was no complaint. Um, all right. Uh, well, listen, we're going to have to pause it here, uh, and um, we'll come back to this story if need be. Thanks very much to Jane Resnick, <laughs> to Howard Sherman uh, from Arts Integrity Initiative for calling in. Uh, when we come back, we're going to take you to a happier place, a place that is making sure that everybody's happy. That place is in New Hampshire. And, well, I'm, I'm not going to wreck it. I'm just not going to tell you what they do until you come back. This would be the wrong time to mention my new Mother Teresa IPA, right? Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me, Kyone Wolf. Our intern is Sydney Lauro. Greg Hill appeared in the intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin. The part of Bill Curry was played by Klinger. For show pages, articles, and videos of the Faith Middleton Show staff and their Beloit Snappers uniforms, visit our website, WNPR.org. On tomorrow's show, the spiritual superiority of life in the North. And now... Back to Colin. Just for the record, there is a team called the Beloit Snappers in Beloit, Wisconsin. Uh, they are named after snapping turtles. And I believe the next town over is Turtle, Wisconsin. I'm not making that up either. All right. So we've been through a certain amount of stress about the uh, upcoming name of our uh, new baseball uh, franchise here in Hartford. We've had a conversation about art in Trumbull and uh, a, a town uh, somewhat divided by that art. Uh, now we're going to go to the happiest story that we have today. And when I saw this, I thought, you know, here in the bleak min- midwinter, we really are looking for things that make us happy. So imagine that you're in uh, Farmington, New Hampshire, and suddenly you see a member of the Farmington, New Hampshire Police Department coming through you, towards you through the snow. Crunch, 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 his boots on the snow. And you think, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Now, what did I do? Oh, look, he's got some kind of ticket book he's taking out or something. What did I, oh, I'm so screwed. What's going to happen to me now? And then what happens? Well, I'm going to actually ask the chief of police in uh, Farmington, New Hampshire, uh, John Drury, to finish up that scenario for me. So these days in Farmington, New Hampshire, when I see that policeman coming towards me and taking something out of his pocket like he's about to write a ticket, what, what's the possibility? What's the alternative thing that might be about to happen to me? Well, although we are on the lookout for violators, um, we are really trying uh, to... Uh, promote and look for the good that's out there. And uh, so it very well may be that uh, one of our officers is approaching you to uh, give you a gift card for a uh, slice of pizza or a small french fry. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just love this. And, and, I mean, have you, are you at the point of having collected some reactions to this now? I mean, are, 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 do you now sort of know what happens when you do that with somebody? Yes, we. Uh, I actually uh, was able to uh, do this yesterday myself, and uh, one of my sergeants today, and another off. Uh, I'm sorry, one of my sergeants last night, and and uh, one of my officers today, and the results have been um, a little bit of shock from the people that we're approaching, uh, and it's been uh, it's been very good, um, and it's it's so nice to uh, to be able to thank you for uh, to people for doing things they do every day, and and we have such great citizens in town 
that uh, it's, it's just kind of nice to pay it forward just a little bit. And, and the concept here is if you see somebody using the crosswalk pro- properly or, or obeying the law in some other way, that's, that's when you're going to, quote-unquote, cite them in this way? That's correct. The officers will make every attempt they can to, to safely approach the person and, and thank them for uh, doing whatever it is that the officer observed. Um, whose idea was this? It was actually mine. Um, I could tell you a little story if you'd like as to kind of how it came about. Sure, we'd love to hear a little story. Uh, it was uh, probably about 10 days ago or so. Uh, we were in the middle of winter and, and another snowstorm. Uh, and uh, I watched this gentleman walk down the sidewalk and uh, use the crosswalk to go into a store and then come back out and retrace his steps back. And I said, that man deserves a medal for... Uh, you know, for braving the snow and, and doing all this when he could have just cut across the street. And I said, well, I can't give him a medal, so what else is there that we may be able to do for some, you know, these people that are really, really trying, and it's been such a tough winter, and we, you know, you have neighbors that are helping neighbors, and people are, you know, raking people's roofs and shoveling and, and all of this stuff that, that sometimes goes unnoticed, and, and although we'll never notice it all, maybe we can make a, make a difference in a few things. And we've all been stuck indoors so very much. Um, this is a good way for my officers to get out there, um, you know, make some some nice contact, uh, have a, a few minutes of small talk with somebody that they may not normally uh, be able to talk to. Now we're going to talk to the uh, person uh, they go to get the French fries or pizza from. But before that, since you mentioned a roof raking, uh, Chief Drury, I just quickly have to say, uh, because it's I have to bring this up every time, Bill Curry borrowed my roof rake one time, broke my roof rake, didn't replace my roof rake, and the next time there was a big snowstorm about a year later, he called me up to ask if I'd gotten another roof rake <laughs> so he could borrow it again. So please, if you uh, stop somebody named Bill Curry, don't give him pizza or french fries or anything like that. I think right. he might have committed a misdemeanor there for I, you. I, uh, in Farmington, New Hampshire, I totally believe you can put in, be put in jail for something like that. <laughs> but uh, so, so Dan Crowley over at Crowley Market and Grill, um, are, are you the place that people wind up going after they've gotten uh, been written a, a ticket or a summons or a citation? Uh, under this new program? That is correct. And how did you get involved in this? Actually, when uh, Chief Drury approached us last week with his idea and wanted to know if we wanted to uh, partner up with him in this uh, venture, we were very excited about it. Um, So we put it all together last week and thought it was an absolutely amazing idea and uh, just fortunate to be here and be part of the community here. It's uh, it's an amazing thing he's doing, and it's a great group of people up here. So uh, have people come in yet to redeem their French fries and pizza uh, police tickets? Yeah, they have. Uh, there's been a few that have come in so far, and uh, even ones that haven't. There's a lot of, obviously, publicity happening with this, and it's just, uh, it's a really positive thing. I mean, the things that we're hearing, is, it's, 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 it's exciting. It's such a long winter that people are coming in with a positive attitude, and they're really impressed with what's going on here. Um, Chief Drury, how big a town is Farmington, New Hampshire? Uh, there's about uh, seven, uh, about 7,000 people in town. Uh, we have 17 people in the department, of which uh, 14 are sworn officers. And, and Dan Crowley, I mean, I, I don't know. This is, I mean, not of 17,000 people, only a small number of them are going to get these tickets uh, from the, the New Hampshire Police Department, from the Farmington, New Hampshire Police Department. But, I mean, are you sensing, I mean, uh, is it cheering people up? I mean, this has been kind of a long, tough winter. Is it? Is it having any kind of ripple effect? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely the talk of the town. Everyone's talking about it. Uh, it's just an absolutely positive thing all the way around. Um, it's amazing. You know, it's a sunny day out there today. But this is what everyone's talking about up here for the last couple of days. And uh, it's, it's just really positive and it's warming. Everyone's happy inside and it's had a great effect on this community. 
I'm tempted to ask what else there is to talk about in Farmington, New Hampshire, but I'm sure there's plenty of other things. It's, it's just simply not the case that the, this would be the only thing there would be to talk about. Um, and so, Chief Drury, how long do you expect to see this, keep this going? Is this kind of a just sort of cheer up during the winter initiative, or, or how does it work? Well, we, we kind of thought we'd give this a, a bit of a test run uh, and try it for the month of March. Um, it, it's gotten such good accolades uh, over the past uh, couple of days. I, I think it's something we probably should try uh, doing again. It was, uh, you know, it was just kind of something to uh, kind of break the winter doldrums that we've had here and, uh, and you know, try and just spread a little cheer. I think, I think it even goes further than that. I mean, not to over-glamorize it, but, I mean, it is so much the case for those of us on the other end of this process that any time we see a policeman walking towards us in a very determined way, you know, we think, oh, man, what did I do wrong? I did something wrong. I'm about to, oh, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. So this idea that a policeman would be coming towards me to say, thank you for obeying the law— uh, and and here's a here's a ticket for some French fries or a slice of pizza or something. I mean, it really kind of it, it it's not a little thing in some ways. I mean, it re- first of all, what you really want as a police chief is for people to obey the law, not to have to go arrest people who aren't following it, right? Oh, that's that's definitely correct. Um, but you know, it, it leads me to another story of a, of, of a gentleman that uh, I had to arrest uh, going back a, a decade or so ago, and uh, nothing made me happier than. About uh, two months later, he came up to me and he said, hey, thank you. Uh, you. What you did turned me around, and he showed me his first paycheck. So you never know when little things are going to maybe change somebody's life. And, you know, we, uh, a lot of us live and work in this area. We're, we're obviously working for this town. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not only we're dealing with – we're dealing with generations of people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's – uh, it's a nice community. Uh, it sounds, it sounds like I want to look. I want to move to Farmington, New Hampshire. <laughs> at this place, it does sound really nice. Nice, Chief. We're pretty much out of time. In in five seconds, what's the name of the t- the team? Like the uh, Farmington uh, High School team. What are they? We are the Tigers. The Farmington High School Tigers. All right. See, that's a little bit more conventional. All right. We're gonna take a. We're not gonna take a break. We're gonna leave. We're done. Betsy Kaplan pulled this show together in 24 hours because she's amazing. Kyan Wolf's been on the board, reminding me of things that I forget. We'll be back tomorrow. I've. Oh, uh, we're doing own northmanship. It fits right into this New Hampshire story. The pride we take of living in the north. And he's rounding second, third, and he's out. Another stunning defeat for the Hartford Busways.